whether it's a picture <clears throat> or a commercial or a movie, I will uh, find myself thinking that would probably be, be my reaction, how I would um, interact with the situation. I wouldn't be paying attention or I'd be looking at my phone or I would be distracted, kind of going from a huh to a duh to I totally missed it. And what I'm speaking about is an incident that went viral in January of 2007. There was a uh, famous violinist by the name of Joshua Bell who took his $3.5 million Stradivarius and in January of 2007 went to the Washington, D.C. subway station. Joshua Bell is known around the world as one of the best violinists in the world. He makes $1,000 a minute. That's not bad. And for 48 minutes, he performed a free uh, concert in the DC, Washington, D.C. subway station. He was dressed in jeans, a t-shirt, and a baseball hat. And uh, this was the response of the people. This is a security camera. This is the response of the people. He's the one on the left, your left. And for 40 eight minutes, people walked by. He's there on the left-hand side. 1,070 people walked by him. How many people do you think actually stopped and watched him? Seven. But the good news is, he made $32 and some cents. And when I, when I watched this video, I, I just thought to myself, uh, what would you have done, Kirk? And I thought, I would have totally walk by him. They did a follow-up to that a number of years later, and uh, people actually stopped and watched him. Something similar happened to that this week in me and my life. My wife and I were invited to a dinner, and so uh, I'd, been, I'd read about this incident, and so it was, uh, it was kind of on my mind, wondering if I should share it as the, in the sermon, and obviously I did. But Monday night, uh, we had a dinner and an invite, and before our meal was served, I went and uh, went and used the restroom, and we didn't know the couple that was next to us for dinner. And when I sat back down at dinner, he turned to me and he said, well, Kirk, I understand you're a minister. How big is your congregation? And I thought, I looked at him, I said, oh, great. Julie told you I was a pastor. Usually she said I was a, a former bodybuilder, and people asked, what happened? Now my cover is blown. But there was an opportunity right there at dinner to have a conversation we're in the middle of a uh, seven-week series entitled Joining Jesus on His Mission. And today we're going to look at some simple mission practices. And last week, if you were here with us or if you missed it, we had the author for this book, uh, Pastor Greg Finke and his wife Susan. And uh, he did such a great job in unpacking. And many of you gave us feedback. Uh, the J-Term class was packed as well, too. And it was really helpful to understand even more, even to, a greater, even to a greater extent, that we're really joining the Lord on what he's doing in people's lives, right? He's doing the heavy lifting. And we're, we're joining on, on, on what he's doing in, in, in folks' lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at just some simple mission practices, the practical how-tos what would it look like to join our Heavenly Father in what he's doing in people's lives? And we're going to use like three different verbs, and they will interact with your different senses. The first one will be 
are you listening? Excuse me. The first one is, are you looking? Are you seeing? The second one will be, are you listening? And third one will, is, are you using your voice? Are you talking? Using our eyes to seek, using our ears to hear, and using our mouth to speak. We'll use questions as well, too. It's really going to be quite that simple. And so this opening prayer, I've never done an opening prayer this way before. And uh, as I was writing this message, I thought, this opening prayer is responsive. I'm going to say a phrase, and I'm going to invite you to say a phrase as well, too, as we prepare our hearts. And so I'll say the phrase, and I invite you to say it after me. Heavenly Father, will you move in our midst? Will you cause us to see? Will you give us ears to hear? Will you give us eyes to see? And will you give us hands and feet that obey? Amen. I want to invite you to uh, follow along in your Bibles this morning. We're going to look at uh, two different verses for the messages there. And once again, there's a bulletin insert that's available. It may help, help you to uh, follow this message. That's my intent when I write that, just to say, where are we going in this message? And uh, you can follow those in, and you can go back and take a look. And so the first mission practice that we're going to look at this morning is seeking the kingdom. And the question is this, how do you see God at work in your life? And we're going to take a look at two verses this morning. And these uh, verses come from the same sermon, one at the beginning of the sermon and one at the end of the sermon. Maybe Jesus' most famous sermon he ever gave was called the Sermon on the Mount. Some people call those, the, there are five sermons or five discourses. You might find that in a study Bible. A discourse means a, a speech or a sermon with the same theme. And the same theme that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount is that he has come. And because he has come, he is both the message and the person that people are looking for. He is what people are looking for. No matter what generation it is, he is the one who people are looking for. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And in this sermon, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus makes this simple statement. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. His kingdom, a new operational system, if you will. Seek what he is doing and join him. Another translation says this, be concerned about his kingdom and what has his approval. Then all these things will be provided for you. I have a heart preference for the message paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Sometimes it says things that I go, ooh, that is so, so good. The message paraphrase, not word for word, but filling it out, says this, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Seek his kingdom. The question is, what, God are, what Lord are you up to today? Help my eyes to be open. Help me to look for places where you're moving. 
where you are moving? Could that be at the store? Could they be at supper? Could that be in just a casual conversation? Something small, a cup of cold water, a, a little kindness. What we have been given in abundance, our friend Pastor Greg Finke said, share that. Later in the sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, it's on page 832. Jesus concludes his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, by a parable. And this parable is uh, made pretty famous in Sunday school stories. Maybe you heard it growing up. It's the wise man, it's the wise builder. And the, the song that, that goes with it is a simple song that goes like this. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock whence stood firm. Second verse. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. I'll save my voice here a little bit. The rains came down. The floods came up. And the house on the sand fell flat. The third verse says, So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessings will come down. And the prayers go up. So build your life on the Lord. We know there's a, um, another song that goes, and all the other ground is sinking sand, right? Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I didn't know about that parable. And it's one of those things that happens as we follow Jesus longer and longer. We say, it's been there all along and I missed it. I always thought that the parable was about the rock and the sand. But there's a small little word there that just you, that when you look at that small little word, it changes the parable. It's the word do. It's the word do. And different translations use the word respond or interact or put them into practice or act on them. It jumped out to me in my devotions earlier this week in Proverbs chapter 25. I try to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. In chapter 25, verse 12, it says this, An earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold, fine gold so is a wise reprover on an obedient ear, one who does that. And it's not just this word do in this parable alone. If you go back and you flip to, I'm on page uh, 832. In Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, he uses this idea of doing, 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 doing three different times near the end of his sermon. It's like he wants us to catch it. Look what it says in um, Matthew chapter 17, 7, excuse me, verse 17, 717. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. That's the word do does good fruit, but a bad, bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot do good, cannot do bad, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot do good fruit. That's how literally it would be translated. Good trees do good fruit. Another place 
in the same sermon. It's the next section there. Look what it says between true and false disciples. How do you know? How do you know a true disciple? Look what it says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the doer of the will of God. And then we come to this parable. The wise man built his house upon the rock. It's the doer. And the difference between the two words in verse 24 and 27 is just a slight tweak on a verb. The one who does these things and the one who doesn't do these things. It modifies the verb as in other words to say the one who is not doing these things. There's an emphasis on obedience so that we're not like that person. Here's an example. At Christmas time, we say, oh, don't be such a Scrooge. We usually scrawl our eyebrow, right? It's more effective that way. Or last week, we saw a picture um, from Greg Finke about the Christian salesman sharing their faith. Remember the cheesy person? And he looked up here and he said, don't be that guy. That's what the Bible is saying. The question of seeking God's kingdom is, Lord, what are you doing today? Where are you moving? What are you up to? Could it be at the store? Could it be at dinner? Could it be something which is a small cup of cold water and a little kindness? What we have been given to in abundance? So I was working on this message and I've been fighting a cold this week. And um, I took a break in my sermon uh, preparing and I, we live over by the mall and I ran by Walmart to pick up some cough medicine. And I was thinking about this and this was the point that I was working on in my message and it was kind of, kind of mulling and marinating in my, my heart. And uh, I walked by this elderly lady who looked a lot like my mom. And my mom had scoliosis and this lady had scoliosis and she wasn't well-groomed. And, and I just, my, kind of my heart went out to her. And I thought, Lord, what, what can I do? I don't want to be the creeper guy at Walmart. That, that wouldn't be a good sermon illustration. And the Lord just laid on my heart, well, you can pray for her. You can do that. And, and I don't do this all the time. And I, I thought, should I share this message in a sermon? Because I don't do, I mean, I mean, I really don't. I'm about, there's a lot more chances that I walk by than I, than I actually do. But as I was walking out of Walmart, if you're familiar with our Walmart here in, uh, in Eau Claire, when you walk out the doors, there's the ice machine. And then you walk outside, it's where they do the Salvation Army kettle. And there was another lady, and she was, she was down on the floor, and she had her purse kind of all spratted out. And she, she had a couple bags. And I just, I walked by her, and I was thinking about this point about seeing the kingdom. And I walked past her. I walked out the doors. And then I walked back in, and I just, I just was prompted to say, can I, can I help you? Do you need any help? You doing okay? And she, uh, she looked at me and she said, I'm doing okay. I'm just counting my money for a cab. I said, okay. I said, well, I hope you have a good day. She said, thank you. 
I'm not looking for any acclamations other than to say, oh, it's maybe that simple. Maybe it is. Who needs a little bit of grace that I've been given in abundance? The idea of seeking the kingdom isn't adding more to a very full life. It's just living intentionally. Jesus came to save people. When, when, when Jesus' name was announced, when it was given to Joseph, that and you will call him Jesus, for he will save people from their what? From their sins. The verb save there can also be used to mean rescue from drowning, rescue from a fire, rescue from a storm. But think about what Jesus didn't rescue the people of his day from. He didn't rescue them from this tax oppression that would break the spine of most of us. He didn't save them from the, from the Roman persecution, did he? And that really ticked off people because they were waiting for Messiah to put the smack down on Caesar and restore them. Jesus came to save people from their sins. And what was true back then, like God would forgive me, God would rescue me, God could even pay the penalty for my sin, for my rebellion and my selfishness. Those same questions are true today. So if the first mission practice is seeing, the second one is listening to his, voice, to his word. What has God been teaching you in his word? And we're going to take a look at two incidences in the scriptures, one from Matthew 17 and one from Luke chapter 24. The first one is about what our Heavenly Father says about his son. And then what the son himself says about who he is. I'd invite you to turn to... Um, Matthew chapter 17, it's on page 843, and it's this incredible story of our Lord's transfiguration. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament for sure, because just for a minute, Jesus showed his earth, he showed his glory here on planet earth. And uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, there are two people that show up. One is Elijah, and one is Moses, and Jesus was changed. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. And a quick sidebar here. One of the reasons, another one of the reasons why I believe the accounts in the Bible are so true is because the scriptures tell us the reactions of real people. Like what you and I would have done if we would have been there. One example this Christmas that struck me was Joseph. Joseph knew how babies were made. That's why he was going to divorce Mary quietly, right? Until an angel of the Lord appeared. He would have done what you and I would have done unless God would have interacted. And here in this passage of Scripture, we get a very normal reaction of an event that takes place that you want to say, let's keep it for ourselves. Can we just stay here? Let's build some booths. Let's just stay here. Let's do a selfie maybe, maybe. And let's just be here. And God the Father speaks from heaven. Notice what he says in verse 5. 
While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I will be well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Elijah is on one side. Moses is on another side. Listen to my son as you read these two men. Listen to my son as you read the law. Listen to my son as you read the prophets. Listen to him as you look and read and study these two. A great place to do that and to to understand the Old Testament through Jesus is the book of Hebrews. Now you might be thinking, well, pastor, you've got the microphone, but I disagree. That seems a little too simple, a little too simple to understand the scriptures through the Christ key. I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it's on page 909, if that helps you. As we listen to who Jesus is, let me set the context here. What you're reading in Luke chapter 24 is Easter Sunday afternoon. The events take place on a road to Emmaus, south of Jerusalem, and two disciples, one by the name of Cleopas and another disciple, are walking the road, and Jesus joins them. And Jesus says, why are your faces so downcast? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard the events that have taken place? I don't know if that means are you clueless or not, but they're saying, where have you been? And Jesus says, how foolish you are, verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In verse 27, and then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, the Messiah. He was all about me coming. Later that night, the first appearance that Jesus made in the upper room, that happened in the afternoon. Later that evening, the doors were closed. The disciples were huddled. Thomas was not there. And the disciples were scared out of their wits on what their future held, right? And Jesus appeared in the room. I love that. There's so many dynamics there. I've said this before. It would have been great if Jesus would have walked in the room and said, boo. That would have been awesome, but he didn't. He asked them to eat. He said, do ghosts have... To go eat. Then notice what he writes in verse 44. He said, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled what is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. They all were about Jesus. They all were about Jesus. They all pointed to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. Jesus is saying. So, how do we apply this? Whenever you meet with him, whether it's early in the morning or on a walk or a workout, we are called to follow him and be in his word. And so I ask you the question, are you listening to Jesus? 
And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world do you listen to God? Let me just give you what has been really helpful to me over the years. Some have called it, one book was about whispers, one was about filters, one was about lenses. But how do you know if it's God speaking or if it's just you? So I'm going to give you five things. If you want to write them down, you can really quick. Number one, when you're reading and you're being impressed, is it wise? Is it wise? Number two, these are not in any particular order or of importance, but number two, how does what you're reading connect with the rest of Scripture? Because Scripture interprets Scripture. How does reading what you're reading now connect with the rest of Scripture? Number three, how does it connect with the character of God? Does it magnify His holiness, His glory? His power, his goodness. How does this connect with the character of God? Number four, what does wise and godly counsel say? People who are in your life, who love you, who love Jesus, what's their response if you are being prompted to act and move and make a decision? And number five, how does what you're reading fit with your gifts and callings and abilities that God has uniquely made you and shaped you? Is it wise? How does it connect with the rest of Scripture? How does it connect with the character of God? How does it line up with wise and godly counsel? How does this fit your gifts, your callings, your abilities, your shape? The Lord is not discipling us until our last breath. Right, Pastor? We're not done learning and listening till our last breath, right? actually wrong your first breath in heaven you meet the one you follow now and then you'll really know my sweet wife Julie has given our family and many children a beautiful song she's an elementary school teacher she's taught about 15 years full-time 15 years part-time over the course of her life and uh, she has primarily been in Christian schooling and so she has shared this little song, this little beautiful song, this simple song with children that fits with this point, and it goes like this. Good morning, God. This is your day. I am your child. Show me your way. Let me sing it again. Not because I have a great voice, but because I think the song is so good. Good morning, God. This is your day. I am your child, show me your way. I think that's beautiful. Research tells us again and again that half the people in our country are lonely. And when I think about this, uh, this idea about joining Jesus on our mission, I think one of the things that hit me this week was this, you know, this really doesn't give me much permission to be a jerk, does it? Or to take a day off. Or to walk out the house and go, not today. I don't want to be your representative today. Maybe you can relate. A simple mission practice. First was seeking. Then was listening. And then simply this briefly talking with people? What kind of conversations are you having with pre-Christians? 
There's two stories. I'm going to encourage you to uh, take a look at them and read them more in depth at your leisure, at your convenience, at your devotion times, 1 Kings 17, 7 through 16, and Acts chapter 17. Two accounts of two of God's people. One is Elijah and one is the Apostle Paul. And a friend of mine shared this with me this summer and it just struck me. He said, Kirk, when Elijah met the widow of Zephyrah, Elijah needed a meal and she needed a miracle. He said, think about that. Elijah needed a meal and she needed a miracle. He said, the posture there can be, what can I learn from you? What can another teach me? Sometimes we have the posture that we have all the answers and we can't learn from other people. I'm taking an online class about C.S. Lewis. I enjoy his writings. He's been so helpful to me as a mentor and as a a leader. And I learned this about C.S. Lewis. He does such a great job on apologetics. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy his writings. C.S. Lewis initially walked away from his faith at age 13 because he heard that all other religions had no truth in them or all other traditions were totally false. All other religious systems were totally false. But he came back to Christ because he realized through friendship and conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien and Richard Dyson that Jesus and his teachings as explained by the Apostle Paul was the fulfillment and the completion of all the teachings and all the truths that were pointed at and hinted at in other world religions. They all found their fulfillments in Jesus. They all pointed to him. They were incomplete, but they pointed to him. There's a great mission book called The Peace Child by Don Richardson, and I heard Don when I was a young seminarian And he made this comment. He said, there are vestiges in people's hearts that say, I want to know why I'm here. I want to know what my purpose is. I want to know what my destiny is. I want to know what is right and wrong. Who put that in them? My father did. Your father did. He put them in there. In Acts chapter 17, Read the story when the Apostle Paul goes and talks on Mars Hill. He talks with respect to those other gods. And he does show them where there's a gap. And that's where the gospel speaks strongly to. The Lord impressed on my heart this week as I was working on this message. I don't need to defend him. He's big enough to defend himself. He changes people. Longtime skeptics seek grace and compassion of the consistent witness of other Christians. I may be in a long line of testimonies for those who do not yet know Christ. His timing is not my timing. His ways are not my ways. I do not understand. Two wise men have spoken in my heart. One is a leader in this community. He's an older leader than me, and I've gotten to know him over the last couple months. And I looked at him, and I said, what would you tell a younger self? What would you tell a younger you? 
he looked right at me and he said, Kirk, what I would tell a younger me is this, have a level of humility. Everyone has a story. Everyone has pain points. No one has figured it out yet. Have a level of humility. That's what I'd say to myself, a younger me. I've also learned from another man. I've not met him personally. I was in a book study with J. Warner Wallace, who wrote a book called Person of Interest. He's a former L.A. homicide cop, and he's a pastor. And in uh, November of 2021, during COVID through February of 2022, I was in a Facebook Live book study. And so J. Warner Wallace would come on, and people would ask him questions, and it was absolutely fascinating. He used his detective skills to look at the person of Jesus Christ and to prove who he is and his claims were true outside of the Bible. It was fascinating. So for the very last Facebook, there were 12 sessions. I took in about 10 of them. We could ask him questions and I had never sent in my uh, questions before. I guess I was too lazy. But for the last one, I thought, man, I can't miss this opportunity. I said, Jim, if you're going to summarize everything that you've done, you could blow people away with what you know and evidence on the person of Jesus Christ and all the, apologetic, all the apologetics and the evidence and the background information. I said, is there a silver bullet that you would summarize all this? And he said, Kirk, I would say this. Have epistemological humility. Know what is true, but then offer it in humility. I won't forget that. So let me ask you this question. How has our gracious Heavenly Father been prompting you to act and respond in this mission moment, in these mission practices? It is the Holy Spirit's job. If something has been illuminated in this message, if something has made sense in this message, <clears throat> that's the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That's what he does. He's the helper. He's the connect the dots person in the Trinity. He's the one who illuminates and enlightens. And we go, ah, oh, now I see it. What would this week look like with seeking the kingdom glasses on? Number two, how has our Heavenly Father been prompting you to speak for him? How might he speak to you this week? Maybe in this message you've been thinking to yourself, you know, I really haven't been in God's word much. How's God want to speak to you? And then finally this question, who's he asking you to be a neighbor for to? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are writing our individual stories. We join you not to work out our salvation, but because our neighbors need works of righteousness. I thank you for these friends. Lord, I recognize that these folks have walked with you some longer than I've been alive. And they've seen your provision, and they've seen the ways that you have opened up doors. And I pray, Lord, until you come back, until you call us home, that you would allow us to take the minutes, take the time, take the afternoon, take the evening, 
to join you on mission. We pray, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, feet and hands to act. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.